Welcome to Success Authority's Conversation Street with Leadership Authority, Peter Beaumont, and with Business Culture Authority, Ron Lehman, and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authority's founder. And Michael, you've you've been on both sides of the acquisition scale. So you've been acquired and you also did acquiring. And I'd just like to talk to you a little bit about those experiences. What were some of the things that you had to deal with? And also, was there anything that surprised you on either side of that once you, the acquisition was done? I, yes, I'm a local leader, but was not involved in any of the you know, the metrics or points about the acquisition in either direction, right? These these were kind of rolled out to me as a staff of saying, hey, this thing has happened. Um, not asking for opinion. This is what's happening. This is how we can best, you know, make make the situation, you know, advantageous for everyone. Um, in both cases, I think the really the crux comes down to understanding that we're still dealing with people, right? How do you work as a team? How do you get to know one another? How do you build culture, trust, rapport, all those things, right? And so when we look at um, in either scenario, it's understanding um, what skills, traits, um, opportunities each of those groups come with and look at it from that side of things. I think as, as human, you know, we're easily um, change averse, right? So we can get really deep in the weeds and and get all rung up about what is the format of our expense reports or our timesheets or how we, you know, send out memos. You know, th- those kind of things really at the end of the day aren't really as meaningful as, you know, who we're working with and what they um, kind of can bring to the table as those kind of soft skills and tangible. So I think for me, it's continuing to look at it from that lens, um, look at it with a positive light. Again, back to the the topic of kind of staff, you know, acquisition versus um, uh, retaining employees. It's just as much of the soft people skills of looking for opportunity because momentum, you know, works very powerfully. If you see people leaving, maybe that begets more people leaving. If you look for opportunities to celebrate those things and, and sell them in, in a, in a positive, but accurate light, you know, don't oversell, don't, you know, go with the saying that nothing, nothing's going to change. Everything's going to stay the same. Well, that's, that's kind of a recipe for not being, you know, clear eyed about everything's changing, but what can we retain about how, what we do well and how can we contribute? Yeah. I, I, you mentioned something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, which is how we are all resistant to change um, at least at first. Um, and in those situations, I have a client right now that has been acquired. And what I notice is that people are, in fact, finding all those little things like here's the way now expense reports are done. And if they're negative about the change, they're looking for evidence. Yeah. And they find they build their case through, aha, see, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. Um, as opposed to how you mentioned is looking at it more holistically and saying, you know, what are the opportunities that we have now? And yeah, we have to learn how to do an expense report differently. But um, like in the case of this kind of work with, we suddenly now have financial resources we didn't have before. And so if we pay attention and they keep track of these things and we start doing that, we will have resources. So it's kind of a mind, a mindset shift, but so often it's not, it's done sort of piecemeal. That's yeah. not sort of, as you say, they come in and say, nothing's going to change. It'll all be great, um, which is never true because um, either the acquis- acquiring company 
forces the other company to just adopt everything and their culture sort of takes over or everybody kind of stays where they are or there's a sort of a hybrid and being intentional about that hybrid, I think is always the best way to go. But so often, at least when I deal with acquisition things, culture is never really thought about. It's not part of the equation going in. It tends to be financial or business related. Um, are we acquiring a geographical spot? Are we getting more customers? Whatever it is. And um, I know this is not new because, gosh, 20 years ago, The Economist had an article about 90% of, of bank mergers fail to meet their targets. And it's almost always because of culture. Yeah. It just never combined that and got that magic synergy that everybody talks about. Yeah, well, I think the the, the takeaway for me is, is that it, it's all about follow through, and the follow through is hard, right? When something's new and it's something that it's uh, obviously you work at it, but then you settle back into norms. You know, you're, everybody's busy, everybody has you know their own responsibilities, but that extra work um, takes time, takes takes um, kind of emotional. Um, investment on both sides. Um, and I will say that I think that's that's one of the things that has worked quite well is, you know, we have had a number of times where we've had leadership face-to-face coming from other office locations to, to be here with staff, to get to know people, to, to do those social outings. And, and then it becomes easier that you're not just dealing with a name in an email or a face on a screen, but you really start, you know, developing those uh, relationships. Again, it comes down to people and how, how we can kind of work um, together. So, Um, I I would say that that is one of the key pieces I think has been that I have seen personally as a strong, you know, uh, piece of that equation being successful is to have that human interaction on a regular basis as follow up, not just within the first three months or not within the first year, but a a continued investment uh, in seeing that kind of FaceTime and, and, you know, really valuing the people here um, as, as we're kind of, you know, our own uh, regional presence, but how we fit in with the greater uh, organization. Yeah. Michael, you have how many people now? You started with two, but now you have yeah, we're seven, eight. Eight people eight. in mm-hmm. total. Okay. Yep. Um, you mentioned autonomy earlier. Uh, yeah. Do they see you as being the man, the the guy, the go- person who's going to make those decisions that they need answers for, or how does that what happen? Does it get a little clunkier than that? Do, do you have to go through steps or stages that you wouldn't otherwise have to if you were in um, organization unto yourselves? Um. Compared to an organization into and of ourselves, yes, we we would. There are some steps and, and kind of um, guidelines, but that is not different than what the you know Odell is as a previous firm multi uh, office location. Uh, we would do kind of check ins for business development, for market opportunities, for doing go no go decisions. I think we always felt like getting a sounding board internally to make sure that we're looking at this thing with with clear eyes. Um, but the but the trust side of it, or the piece that I really am attracted to on the autonomy is that if I can kind of make the case and other people are nodding their heads, then it's it's all up to the local group, local office to pursue or not, right? So I think it's, as it puts the onus on us to be realistic about what that opportunity or what that um, ability to either add a new you know service line or go after a new client, it comes with that kind of check set to say, okay, this is what the opportunity is. This is what it takes to go after that. And, and if, again, if we go through that go-to-go checklist and everybody's kind of in agreement, then, then 
it's off to the races. So as far as how it was under Odell versus now uh, at LaBella, I would say there's not really been that much change. Um, I would say that the, the, the flip side back into that is the check-in as it uh, relates to, um, you know, success, like how many of those are we converting? What, what are the metrics? And again, those are looked at at a little different timeline, but it really is more about the reporting structure of uh, different verticals where we really at, at Odell only had one. Uh, versus now we're one of four or five divisions um, on a slightly different fiscal year reporting schedule. So that's really where the the nuance and differences. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> well, I always I always kind of like to uh, the analogy someone made of me at one point. Maybe it's one of my previous mentors that said, "You know, Michael is a really good duck." what do you mean by that? It's like, well, you're cool and calm, collected above the surface, and I'm sure you're paddling like hell below the surface. <laughs> and that's how you kind of make yourself moving forward. So I, I always try to uh, keep that analogy front of mind and said, I, I can be a duck. That's great. And I'm guessing that helps um, your people because there is a continuity. Um, it, it sets the tone, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it also is a little bit of like, I feel part of my role is, is maybe shielding some of the rest of the staff from the ups and downs that naturally occur. You know, if you can kind of remove the high highs and remove the low lows and just kind of present more of an even keel. Yes, this is strategy. There might be bumps in the road, but this is what we're, you know, kind of doing. It, it's about the communication. It's about the transparency. And I'll share with them as much as I can without, you know, trying to, um, uh, again, get them too high or too low on any of those cycles of of reporting. So, so have you had to embrace anything new, or have they just let you carry on the way you were doing things before? There's definitely been a lot that's that's been new. Um, so, all of our accounting um, side of things has completely changed, and so um, that's just application based, right? So, we've subscribed to you know, software A, and now they use software B. And so there's kind of differences in there. Um, the the piece that we were kind of, at least right now, legacy allowed to continue the way we were doing was really how we deliver our drawing sets. And so we're very process oriented. Like what we design is a custom project every time. So we're not making a widget that gets repeated a million times. We're kind of working with our client and our consultants to deliver a custom designed you know, thing. And so our process and our workflow is very important to uh, being efficient and being profitable is, 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 is tied hand in hand, right? So the more that we need to rework or more learning curve about process actually sets us behind for, you know, being as efficient as we can. So what we've said is uh, continue doing project delivery of schematic design, design development, contract documents, permitting in the same linear direction that we had under Odell. And we're still working through an implementation of that integration of systems. Like we can um, kind of put on our, um, our look ahead ways in which maybe their system and process, you know, is better or ours is, you know, advanced in some way and look for ways that we can more naturally merge them. So right now we're still doing an evaluation of what are the low hanging fruit? What are the things that we can kind of contribute and bring value to 
to them as a large organization of, of maybe some um, design disciplines uh, that we didn't have under our pre- purview, but it comes with understanding uh, what are the client or regulatory requirements of that process. You know, doing K-12 schools as a public bid in New York State is going to be different than doing a developer-led project uh, for a you know, for-profit entity down in North Carolina, right? So what are those things that are driven by the client or regulatory? Okay, we're going to move those off to the side. There's no need in debating those because they're they're given by our, our client or our prime contract holder. But the things that we can kind of debate about, this is a, a better process or a more efficient process or a more clear process. Uh, we're still working at ways in which we can kind of use both sides and inform to a better solution. So how big's the company now what's it gone from to yeah great so um we were odell was about 45 to 50 uh architects interior designers planners in three office locations um within labella the um architectural division is about 180 uh people um company wide we're about 14 to 1500 uh members um so those divisions of civil engineering for uh, project management for uh, wastewater, infrastructure, solar, you know, those are um, obviously a larger piece of their organization pie. And so the reason I asked the question is uh, there's a cultural piece to that that uh, Ron alluded to, which is it's really difficult to force fit organizations. But but what you see typically, and I have seen, is that I, I'm surprised, <laughs> and whether it's good or bad, I'm surprised you're being allowed to do your own process. Typically what happens with a a, um, a merger or acquisition, they're normally the same thing, um, <laughs> is that they drive down their processes because they've proven to work over many years. So I'm kind of surprised they haven't driven down the processes. And, and, and let me let me define what I mean by that. Not necessarily the way you go about the work with your client because that you made the good point that it may change depending on the client. But there are core processes that every organisation has to have and they will drive it through the company because if people switch from a location to another location or pick up a particular role, they have to understand that they're working with the same processes. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. Um, right. And so yes, I'm, and it, that hasn't, I'm, I'm kind of. I guess my question is, why do you think that hasn't worked? That hasn't, hasn't happened because it will. <laughs> yeah, I, I think some of it may be just you know kind of point in time of. Um, again, we're, we're a year and a half in, maybe there's a longer range picture about certain things. Mm-hmm. There, there have been some, some, uh, previous models of, uh, acquisition that Labella has done. Um, and again, I, I, I'm gathering from, from previous, um, you know, anecdotal, uh, evidence of sharing. There are some, some natural timelines that these things need to kind of work themselves out. Um, mm-hmm. I would say at least within the, the architectural design um, you know, our process is really more about the representation graphically of how we go through um, leading the client from concept to, you know, building a, a physical location. Um, and so those those things, as they're governed by state building codes and other regulations, how we work through process, um, th- those really don't change as much. I guess the ones that have are really more on the, the bookkeeping, the housekeeping, the marketing, the pursuit. And I, I, yes, I, I guess that we have in some cases... Um, part of the acquisition was to get uh, more regional diversity down in the mm-hmm. Southeast where we had a stronger presence. And so that is probably why we've maybe been left to continue as, as um, 
we've set up. You know, there are some locations uh, within the company that ha- already had a Labella presence, and now they're kind of merging in with Odell staff. Charlotte, North Carolina is actually one of the, 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 the good examples about that. And so it, it comes with a continuing kind of testing about staff availability, staff sharing. And then if you're kind of keeping these things siloed to say, Odell legacy projects that were signed up or for a period of time after the acquisition are left to continue, uh, then making sure that those people that are coming on from the Labella side just to uh, be the staff management, the production, those types of things, understand from the get-go, this is the graphic platform and process that has been set up for this project and we're going to continue it to its natural conclusion. So we do a lot of that kind of project setup internal um, to be clear about, you know, what what guidelines are we following, right? And it, at some point, it comes down to just you know graphic graphically how are things represented on on the on the paper. So, so how long does a project last? I know that can vary. Yeah. Long time, long time. I I would say most people are shocked that you know we, we, it's not uncommon for a project that. Um, so, for example, we're doing one uh, a sports project with a higher education um, entity. We started that project in 2020. Um, we submitted for permit documents um, last summer, um, the, the summer of 22, and we won't open that project for construction uh, commencement until the uh, spring or, or, or late uh, winter of 24. So we could easily have two years of design process, then a year of bidding and permitting and, and pre-construction rollout, and then another year or two of construction. So yes, it depends on size and scale and complexity of the project. But in some cases, the project has already been started with that client. It's easier and more efficient to continue that project in the way it's been set up through its duration. And then yeah. as you have the next one roll out to say, okay, and this kind of comes back to your questions earlier and Linda, some of the prep that you and I talked about, about marketing pursuits, right? So there's a longer lead time about how do we brand ourselves? How do we sell ourselves? Right. You know, and so when we first started, we were Odell. And then here in Nashville, as we kind of were acquired, but, um, you know, we're in our previous physical space, we were branding online digitally and going after projects as Odell, a Labella company. Now that we've opened a new brick and mortar, uh, we're kind of rolling out that we're Labella Associates, you know, we have not changed as the people that you are working with on a day-to-day basis, but the name on the proposal letter, the uh, the name on the building, you know, has made an intentional, you know, kind of shift to change. So again, these things are a little bit more longer, longer range, and maybe it's the nature of the business that we are, you know, involved in projects that run a longer, you know, calendar timeline. Yeah. So, um which poses another question, to, which is what 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 advantages have you seen since, or has nothing changed? I mean, you've expanded, but was yeah. that as a result of that, or was that just coincidental? That's a great question. I don't know. I like to think that it was uh, somewhat a direct opportunity to say, yes, we're going to invest and we're going to grow and we're going to go where the talent is, and we'll figure out some of the other pieces later. Um. Some of it was just, I think, timing. I think we were in the right place at the right time to acquire some of the staff that we kind of made a compelling, um, you know, kind of pitch that you can work in an area as great as Asheville. You can work on some projects that may never be in Asheville, uh, large medical uh, facilities, large sports and entertainment, and work for a company that has a bigger geographic presence. And so the, the, our staff, you know, is kind of being exposed to things that may be outside of this market area. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversation Street. For more information or to submit a question, 
email successauthorities at inquire at successauthorities.com.